please to the Old Testament tonight to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 17. 2 Samuel 17. You might want to turn to chapter 19 as well. Just put a finger in there. I just want to read uh, a verse, one, well, a few verses there, but not many. So 2 Samuel 17 first. Now it happened when David had come to Manahem, that Shubai, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah, of the people of Ammon, and Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar, and Barzaliah, the Gileadite, from Rugalim, brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, and barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd, for David and for the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Then chapter 19. I'm reading from verse 31. And Barzaliah the Gileadite came down from Rogalim and went across the Jordan with the king to... I'm in Second Samuel. What are you in? <laughs> Who's in First Samuel? Who's in First Samuel? Who's in Second Samuel? Right. Well, I'm reading from Second Samuel. First one. Did I say First Samuel for the first one? Second, Second Samuel chapter 17 was the first one. From verse 27. Ah, right, right. Now we get it. Just testing you. See how prophetic you were. Right, so I didn't give you the, the, the actual verses. Sorry about that. All right, give you the chapter, but not the verses. All right. So Second Samuel 19 and then verse 31. So we're all in the same hymn sheet now? All right, we're all together. Good. And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogalim and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across Jordan. And Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. And he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanan, for he was a very rich man. The king said to Barzillai, Come across with me and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. Barzillai said to the king, How long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant turn back again, that I might die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. But let hear your servant, Kinham, let him cross over with my lord the king, and do for him what seems good to you. The king answered, Kinham shall surely cross with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan 
when the king crossed over. All right, that's it. Now, the Holy Spirit, in recording the life of Barzaliah, doesn't give us much to go on. Not much space in Holy Writ to sum up his life. Just these two passages, really. His name is mentioned in a couple of other places, but really that's the head of it. And so this is all that the Holy Spirit has given to us to encapsulate the life of this lovely man, Barzillai. And he's like, I suppose, a, a meteor who lights up the sky for a very brief moment. Or one of those very rare flowers that only blooms but once in a lifetime and then it's gone. And so this man, Barzillai, he shines and he blooms but for a season. But who is Barzillai? What do we know of him? apart from what the scriptures have just said. Well, historians tell us that he was a well-to-do herdsman, an owner of sheep, something, I suppose, like an ancient Celtic clansman, a lord of the manor, so to speak. Certainly would have a lot of men under him, and he would have much livestock. So he was a very wealthy man indeed, a very wealthy farmer, could we say. So this evening, I just want to take a brief look at this man, Barzaliah, and we will look at him from two sides, like two sides of the same coin. And you'll see two different traits emerging. In chapter 17, it reveals his willingness that commended him. It's always good to be commended, isn't it? And so we look at his willingness that commended him. But then in chapter 19, it reveals his unwillingness that condemned him. Now, when I say condemned, I don't mean that God was finished with him and God tossed him aside or God didn't care about him anymore. He was going to be punished or whatever. I mean condemned in the sense that there was a black mark against him. He could have finished differently than he did, but he didn't. We'll look at that a little bit later. Firstly, the willingness that commanded him. Barzaliah evidently loved King David. His age, he was about 80 years of age. And that would suggest that he had lived through the very turbulent times in Israel's history when Samuel was the prophet and Saul was the king. And he also, I'm sure, was greatly interested and had much admiration for the rise and the reign of King David. He cared about David. His life had obviously been enriched by the king. And so he cared about the man David. But he also cared about the monarch David. He cared about the king David. But he also greatly cared about the kingdom of David. The thing that will commend us is how much we care about the king and his kingdom. That's the thing that will commend us. That's how we will stand or fall in this life. How much do we care about the king? How much do we care about his kingdom? You see, at this point in our story, Absalom, David's son, he had stolen the hearts of the men of Israel. He rebelled against his own father. He plotted against him, wanted to kill him actually. 
and the state of his throne. And so the king was in exile and he was being dogged and hounded from pillar to post in the wilderness, in hiding from his own son, not able to occupy his own throne that God had given him. Not only that, he had been betrayed by his nearest and dearest friend, Ahithophel. Ahithophel was related to Bathsheba and he waited probably a long time to get even and to get vengeance. And whenever Absalom rose up against his own dad, Ahithophel then changed sides. He became a turncoat and sided with Ahithophel against David. And that really, really hurt David because he was his confidant. He was his closest friend in the court, in the palace. And so here he is. He's been despised even by his own son. He's rejected of man. He's been betrayed by his dearest and his nearest. He's just about almost forsaken. But Barzaliah and some friends that we read about there were the very few that actually came to his aid and stood not only for him, but stood with him. Barzillai knew that the man was of God, and he knew that the monarchy was of God. He was sure, absolutely, that one day, sooner or later, that one day David would cross the Jordan again and be enthroned in his rightful place. He had no doubt about that. Now, you have to understand that it really wasn't a very popular thing at this point to be David's friend, remembering that most of the men of Israel had turned against David. So it wasn't too popular. It wasn't easy to do what he has just done with the few around him. Actually, to stand for the king and to stand with the king at this time, in fact, it could have been a dangerous thing to do. But he didn't nonetheless. Are we willing to stand for the king and to stand with the king? even if it proves unpopular in the workplace or maybe even at home or in school or in the uni or in a factory floor or amongst our neighbors? Are we willing to stand for the king and stand with the king when it seems like everybody's against him? Are we willing to do that? Is our concern for the king and for his kingdom But Barzillai's willingness that commended him was not just because of a stand for the king, but because of his sacrifice for the king. Not just because he loved the king, but because of his liberality to the king. Did you notice in chapter 17, the first portion we read, verses 28 and 29, did you notice how the Holy Spirit records every single gift that he gave to the king? Lentils, pulse, cheese, bread, everything. I mean, it's a whole shopping list. Why would the Holy Spirit even bother to tell us all that information? To let us know that everything we sacrifice that costs us to give to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, it's noted. God notes it. And particularly if it costs us something, particularly if you do it in the face of opposition. If you're the only one in your office or the only one in your home or the only one in your factory floor, the only one in your 
uni, the only one in your classroom, if you're the only one that stands for the Lord, and it costs you to do that, when everybody else may be putting you down or laughing at you or talking about behind your back or saying you're a weirdo, you're a religious nut, you're a fanatic, but you take it because you love the king and you love his kingdom. God marks that. And God honors those who honor him. Now, you may not be one of David's mighty men like Benaniah. And <laughs> you may not have a throne to give up like Jonathan for David. But all of us can give something. All of us has something that we can offer the king. So we see here Marzaliah's willingness to stand and his willingness to sacrifice. And that's what commended him. And the Holy Spirit records that about his life. And so far we have looked at his willingness that commended him, but it's a pity then we just couldn't close the Bible and leave it at that. It's a pity we couldn't just say, well, there you are, that's a great man, and look how well he did, and God bless him. And we could say that because he was all of those things and did all of those things. But the Bible's a very honest book. If nothing else is honest. And what I like about it is it, it, it talks about its hero's warts and all. It doesn't hide anything. And so I think it's a little bit sad that this great man who showed, showed so much promise throughout his life that he couldn't go out in a great blaze of glory. Because in 2 Samuel 19, the scene changes. Absalom's rebellion is over. He's dead. He's gone. David is returning from exile to Jerusalem. Now he's going to sit upon the throne, which is rightfully his. But now in Barzillai's life, there is revealed the unwillingness that condemned him. The unwillingness. He was willing to give, but he was not willing to go. There's many like that today. They're willing to give, but they're not willing to go. They may give of their silver, but they won't give of themselves. You know, sometimes the easiest thing is just to, to give a material thing. Should it be money or whatever? Sometimes it's very difficult, but sometimes it's just the easiest thing to do. Sometimes the hardest thing to do <laughs> is to put your suit through stuff through all the inconvenience and all the hardship sometimes that comes serving in the kingdom. Sometimes that's much harder to do, to make that kind of a sacrifice, to put yourself out there, to stretch yourself, you know, to do something. He's willing to give, but he wasn't willing to go. Some people are very liberal in their giving, but they're very limited in their going. You put a tithe in the offering plate, but you couldn't get them to do anything. You couldn't get them to do anything. So, David wanted Barzaliah. He wanted him to go to Jerusalem with him. That's all he wanted. Please, he says, come to Jerusalem with me. And Barzaliah said, no. No. Now he was very tactful. He's very mannerly about it. Very polite. Sounded very pious. 
But the answer was still no. And I want us to look for a few moments tonight. will not be long tonight. I want us to look for a few moments at the excuses that he made. Because if God wants us to do something and we're not going to do it, we're going to find an excuse not to do it. We're going to come up to a reason. And it may sound reasonable. And on the face of it, what he's saying sounds reasonable. But the bottom line was, he wasn't about to go. And David wanted him to go. So his first excuse was this. Verse 34 and 35. I'm too old. I am today 80 years old. I'm too old. Was he past it? Was he over the hill? Was he too old to be of service to the king? I don't think so. The king wanted him to go back with him. But he says, I'm too old. What about Moses? Moses never really got started until he was 80. Never really got started until he was 80. Imagine that. Most of us, when we become 80, we're done, aren't we? We just feel, well, that's it. Retirement time, put the feet up. <coughs> Moses had the greatest experience of his life with God when he was 80 years old, and it kick-started him in for the next 40 years. What about Caleb? Caleb was 80 years old when he says, Give me this mountain. Lord, remember that mountain you promised me, the one with the giants on it? That's the one I want. I'm 80, but I don't care. Give me that mountain. I'll kill those giants. He said, I'm too old. Remember the parable of the workers in the vineyard who received their penny for their wage? Some started in the early hour, some started in the third hour, some started in the sixth and the ninth hour, some started in the eleventh hour. That meant they only worked one hour. Some bore the heat of the day. Some were late in starting. One hour was all they worked. But the master gave every single one of them the same reward. He gave them all a penny. Some were upset at that. And he says, well, is it not mine to give? I'm giving you what I, <laughs> what I promised to give you, what you wanted. So he says, if I want to give this one a penny for an hour's work, that's fine. That's, that's, that's what grace is, by the way. So what I'm trying to say in that is this, that even in the 11th hour, there is still something can be done for the king. Even if it's only praying. I say only praying. It's probably the greatest thing you can do. But maybe the energy level is not like Moses or like Caleb anymore. I don't know when I'm 80 if I'd be like Moses or Caleb. But if I'm still alive and kicking, surely there would be something I could do for the king somehow, some way, somewhere. You know, whenever you get old, it should be this way that we should have more maturity, more wisdom. The Bible talks about going to the hoary head the white head, a sign of supposedly wisdom and maturity. You lived a while in this life. You know, you're not a Johnny come lately. Sorry to the two Johnnies here saying that. But you've lived a while. You've been around. You've seen some things. You've been through some stuff. You've got a lot of wisdom and maturity that you can pass on. There's another generation coming up needs that. 
They mightn't be ready to listen if they're too young, but a little bit later on, suddenly you'll be the wisest man that ever lived. It's amazing how wise your parents become once you get into your 20s and your 30s. Whenever you're a teenager, you don't think they're very smart or very cool. But live a wee while longer and just see how smart and cool they really were. <laughs> they had to raise you, so that must be saying something, isn't it? Now, and so, as we get older, our energy levels may not be the same. We may not have the physicality about us to do what we need to do, but we've got wisdom, we've got maturity, we can counsel, we can share, we can pass on, we can read, we can study, we can do something for the kingdom of God. But he said, I'm too old. Some people say I'm too young. What about Samuel? He was just a boy, wasn't he, when God came to him? What about David? He was just a shepherd boy when God came to him. Remember whenever we did the study about the 12 apostles? All of them were probably teenagers. It might have been one or two was in their 20s, but almost all of them was teenagers. And so God can start you young, can't he? And so we make all kinds of excuses. And so he says, I'm, I'm too old. Then he said, it's too much. Verse 35, can I? Can I? Can I? Three excuses here. He gives three reasons why he feels it's too much. First of all, he says, I have lost my discernment. Can I discern between the good and the bad? Why do you suppose David wanted him to go to Jerusalem in the first place? Because he was a wise man. Because he had discernment. He had lost his best friend Ahithophel, his confidant, his counselor. You can be sure David wanted to replace that. He needed somebody with wisdom and understanding and maturity to stand by his side. That's what he wanted. He says, can I discern? Between the good and the bad? Sure he could. I don't know, unless, unless we're in dotage. I don't mean that facetiously, but I'm serious. Unless we're in dotage, surely the older we get, you would think as believers, the more discernment we would have. Now there's exceptions to the rule, but surely you would think that, wouldn't you? Again, because we've lived a while, we've seen some things, we've been through some stuff, you've got discernment. You can understand between the good and the bad. You've got a Christian worldview for a start now, haven't you? Or have you? You have, haven't you? So when you see stuff on TV, you say, that's not right. That's not right. Even though they're saying that, it's not right. How do you know that? Because you've got discernment. You've read the Word of God. You've got the Spirit of God. You know when something's not right. And David wanted this old man with maturity, with discernment, to come and to stand by him. But he said, no. He says, I've lost my discernment. Do I know the difference between right and wrong? Of course he did. Then he says, I've lost my desire. Can I taste what I eat or what I drink? David, my, my taste, it's, it's gone. My palate is dulled. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine what the table the banqueting table of David must have been like. I mean, the food must have came from the, the four corners of his kingdom. It would be lavishly, abundantly supplied. 
And he says, well, that's too bad because I lost my taste. I've lost my appetite. I wonder if your eye lost her appetite and her taste for the king and his kingdoms. I wonder if it lost her appetite to obey his wishes and desires. Or is our relationship with the king dull and bland and tasteless and dry? Scriptures say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Got to taste it. Somebody ever cooks you to taste something and you thought, mm, not too sure. Not sure if I like the look of that. You say, oh, go on. Go on. Just, just taste it. Oh, go on. You, you never know that you taste it. And it's true, isn't it? And then eventually you pick up the courage and you taste it. <sighs> I've just discovered jazz apples. If you're an apple eater, get a jazz apple. They are absolutely mouth-wateringly delicious. Clifford, you're an apple eater, aren't you? Have you had a jazz apple? Oh, you must get those. Tomorrow you must go into Marks and Spencer's, my friend, and you must get jazz apples. And I guarantee and promise you, you will taste and see how good they are. <laughs> and it's like that way with spiritual things. You have to taste and see. You have to go for it. You can think about it and talk about it and pray about it, but you've got to go for it and taste it and see it. That the Lord is good. He tastes like honey in the rock, the Bible says. He's giving us living bread to eat, manna from heaven, angels' food. This is what the Word of God is to us. But he says, I've lost my desire. Can I taste what I eat or drink? I hope and I pray that however many years or days is left to me in my life, that if I get to that grand old age, I, I would hope and pray that my taste for spiritual things is not diminished. I hope that it's increased. I, I love to meet older saints, and I can think of a few of them. And they're not cynical, and they're not bitter, and they're not burnt out. They love the Lord. The Lord is their delight. They love the Word of God. They love the house of God. It's just a delight to meet them. They haven't lost their taste for spiritual things. And that's such a blessing when it's like that. Then he says, I've lost my delight. Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Ah. All that singing and praising in Jerusalem. You know, David had a, David had a fantastic choir. You know, his choir in the temple, you know, they took it in shifts. It was 24-7 wall-to-wall singing. Can you believe that? Imagine, 24-7 worship. <laughs> they did it in shifts and relays. So it went on just continuously. He says, can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? All that praise and worship. Well, it's okay for the young folks bit loud for me. I've had my day. You know, I just like it nice and quiet. But all those high cymbals and all those tambourines and all that stuff that, you know, 
and David prays. A terrible thing to lose our delight in praise and worship and rejoicing in the Lord, wouldn't it? Not a terrible thing. Isn't music such a big part of our lives, isn't it? I know you young people, you can't even do your homework without playing music. I know that. Us older ones, we can only sort of do one thing at a time. But it's such a big part of our lives. And music in the house of God is such a big part of, 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 our, of our worship lives, isn't it? I know there's denominations who doesn't have music in the house of the Lord and they just use their voices and God's given them vocal cords to use and they use it very well and they delight in that and they love that. And that's fine. God bless them. I haven't got a problem with that for them. They're happy to do that. Wonderful. But I like the instruments. I like the music. So let's not lose our delight in hearing the voice of singing men and singing women and singing boys and singing girls. <laughs> you know, ever since really we began this church, and I suppose every church could say the same, but some more or less, but worship has always been something that we have prized and have loved and have worked on and thank God for a worship team that we have got. They're the best we have ever had in the history of this church, aren't they? Can you say amen to that? And they make the effort and they work hard at it and they pray and they seek the Lord and they come on Sunday They lead us into that place of worship. Thank God for that. Thank God for it. Haven't lost my delight in that yet. Never want to. Then he says, I'm too weak. I'll only be a burden to you. That's what he says. I'll just be a burden to you. I'm too weak. Now at first glance you may say, well that's considerate, it's thoughtful. Why bother the king at my time of day? But what possible burden could this man have been to the king? I mean, the king has loads of servants, men servants, maid servants, courtiers, officials. <laughs> I mean, this old man could have came to the palace. He could have had his own quarters. He could have had his own servants. He could have had everything he never needed or desired. He could have had all of it. He would not have been a burden to the king at all. The king could have sent for him maybe every day for, for a chat, for counsel, to get his wisdom and his understanding. What kind of burden would that have been? No. He says, I'll only be a burden. I'll only get in the way. Well, I, I get the feeling it was a kind of an excuse, to be honest. I got the feeling that was a little bit of an excuse. I don't think David thought for one single second that this man was going to be a burden to him or anybody else. And then he said, it's too far to go. Your servant will go a little way over this Jordan. Now, I wasn't going to have to walk to Jerusalem. He probably wouldn't even have to ride a donkey to Jerusalem. David would probably give him a courage to go, considering his 80 years. So that would not have been the problem. But he said, it's too far. Your servant will go, notice this, a little way over this Jordan. He would give, but he wouldn't go. 
Lots of believers are like that. They will only go a little way with Christ, but not all of the way. I mean, they're only going to do so much, and then there's the cutoff point because there's the comfort zone. And we all like our comfort zones, don't we? And we don't like shaking from our comfort zones. But there's something about the Spirit of God that shakes our comfort zones so that we don't settle too comfortably. He's always stretching us and pushing a little bit, moving us. So he said, only a little way. There's lots of people, lots of believers. They want to go to heaven, that's for sure. But they want to go with as little inconvenience as possible. Thank you very much. I'm saved, I'm ready to go for heaven, but until I get there, don't disturb me. Please don't ask me to do anything. Their bare minimum, they just want to scrape by. But all their energies and talents and their finances are channeled everywhere except the kingdom. It's amazing what you've got the energy to do if you really want to do something, isn't it? And I know lots of believers, and you could not move them to do anything for the kingdom, but boy, they have got every kind of thing going in their life possible. In fact, their life is full of stuff, but not for the kingdom. And so Barzillai said, well, I'll go just a little bit over this Jordan. I'll get to the point, and I'll just stop and say, David, God bless you. It's as far as I'm going. I hope you're not one of those. I hope you're willing to go all the way with the Lord. I hope you're not one of those that, you know, you kind of want to run with the world and run with the Christ at the same time because that is never going to work. You say, Lord, I am going to go all the way across this Jordan. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm not turning back. I have nothing to turn back to. I'm going all the way. And when you make up your mind you're going to go all the way, God will go with you. And then he said, verse 7, he said, at any rate, it's too late. Here's what he said. Please let your servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. His plans were already made. His own agenda was already set. His grave plot was already bought. His headstone was probably already made. All it needed was inscribed. All it needed was a date put on it. So the last thing he wanted to do was for the king to arrange all his plans because he had his plans made. And again, there's some believers like that. They don't want God to rearrange their life's plans. They've got a plan. Thank you very much. And it's a nice plan. It's a comfortable plan. It's all set. God, don't rearrange my life. Somebody said that some people are like concrete, hardened, set, and hard to stir. Some are like cornflakes, crisp and fresh and ready to serve. <laughs> so what would you rather be like, cornflakes or concrete? I would rather be like corncrate, corncrates, cornflakes. <laughs> Oh dear, it's too late in the night. Corn creaks. 
John, you're going to cut that out of that tape, aren't you? I know you are. <laughs> I'll give you that fiver later. You can do that. <laughs> so then, after all the excuses, he said something else. He said, David, I'm not going to go, but I want you to take Kimham. Kimham probably, most commentators believe this was his son. I want you to take him. And David said, okay, I will take Kimham. He shall go to Jerusalem with me. And he blessed the old man and he left him. I think it's a wee bit sad. I, I think that Barzillai had a went with David. I, I, I think perhaps there might have been another chapter of his life that could have been written. But that's what he chose. That was all the reasons he gave. We read them there. So he said, I'm not going. Thank you very much for your kind offer, but my plans are made. I'm staying here. I'm going to die here. So you go, but there's my son, Kinham. Take him with you. Okay. David must have been disappointed for sure. But he couldn't change his mind. So they went back to Jerusalem. What about Kimham? Let me just end with this. Way over in Jeremiah chapter 41. In verse 17, we don't really need to read all the background of this, but in verse 17 of Jeremiah 41, it says, And they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Kimham, which is near Bethlehem, as they went on their way to Egypt. And they dwelt in the habitation of Kimham, which is near Bethlehem. Hmm. Kimham has done well for himself. He went all the way with the king. Now he's got a habitation. He's got a place here. And I find this very interesting. One of the commentaries, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brian, for anybody that cares to look that up, adds something here. It says the word habitation here. is caravanserii. Caravanserii. And caravanserii is a Persian word meaning the house of a company of travelers. In other words, an inn. An inn near Bethlehem. Could it possibly be? Is there the slightest chance and we don't honestly know, so we can't say for sure. But could it possibly be the very inn where Christ himself was born? I would love to think that it is. But I can't tell you for sure. And nobody can. But I would love to think that it was the very place where Christ was born. King Ham went all the way with the king to Jerusalem. And he did rather well for himself. And just maybe, 
Maybe this was a way for God to honor him. Maybe. But even if it wasn't, it makes me wonder, could there have been another chapter in Barzillai's life if he had went to Jerusalem with the king, even though he is 80? Could he live for another few years? And we might have read another portion of scripture about him and something he had done, some wisdom he had imparted to the king. At least he could have been a great and dear friend right by his side. But we'll never know, will we? Because he never did go. His willingness that commanded him, his unwillingness that condemned him. Are you and I willing to go all the way with the king? Because if we are, God will bless. God will honor. And we'll do well, won't we? We'll do well going with the king. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be fervent. Not half-hearted, wishy-washy, in and out, up and down, but Lord, to be fervent in spirit. To be passionate about the things of God. To be willing to go all the way. To do what needs to be done. Because Lord, the days are drawing close. Time, as we know it, is almost up. And Lord, there's so much yet to be accomplished for the kingdom. So Lord, help us to always to be going forward. Always, Lord, to be progressing and marching ahead with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, help us not to set our agenda and make our plans where you are excluded. But always pray and seek your face and to know what you want what your heart is, what your purposes are, Lord, that we may follow in that path. And so we bless you and we thank you for this little story of Barzillaiah. May we be encouraged and challenged and may we go all the way with Christ. And Lord, whatever time you afford us in this life, may we always be found praising you. May we always be found serving you in your house and worshiping you and honoring your name. Lord, help us to end well. Help us to end well. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen.